This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. The following episode is one of our COVID Zoom sessions. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 43 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Hanan Rashid. Hanan came to the United States from Palestine in 1973. She is the founder of My Healing Table. Her hope is that food can be unifying and that Palestinians and Israelis can find some common ground around a communal table of food. Hanan also gave a TEDx talk on the subject. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Welcome, everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast, and today I have Hanan Rashid. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm going to throw it over to you, and why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm actually, let's see, I'm an immigrant to the U.S. I immigrated in 1973, and since then I had five kids. And they had kids, so now I have nine grandkids, and they all live uh, all over the United States. So they fun, live in fun places where I get to travel and cook with the grandkids and spend time with them. Um, I love cooking. I was uh, self-taught at the beginning because I needed to cook to make myself comfortable in the U.S. When I came in '73, nothing smelled or um, tasted like how I left Palestine. So I started cooking from memory, whatever I remember tasting my mother's uh, food and smell. Of course, that took a long time. A lot of stuff I burned, a lot of stuff I threw in the trash, a lot of stuff was salty. Uh, but, you know, you learn. Uh, so I learned. And uh, my thing is I love cooking and I love feeding people and I love introducing my Palestinian culture to others through food. So that's what I've been doing, doing a lot of stuff, good stuff with people like here. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. You were hoping to come down to Frederick here and we were going to do an event and a demo. And as we're talking with everyone, obviously with COVID-19, a lot has changed. But I'm so glad we could get you on and do this Zoom one. And then, you know, we'll reschedule for a later date. It'll probably be a good reason to get people together and kind of break bread, you know, once we can all uh, hopefully communally sit down together and do that. Yes, yes, I can't wait. Honestly, I was so looking forward to it. But, you know, uh, they say man plan and God plans and his plan is the best. So we're going to have to sit, take a breather and get to know our families and our homes and spend time with each other. Maybe before we go outside and spend time with others, maybe we need to learn how to be kinder and more tolerant and patient. Maybe that's what uh, COVID is for us to uh, Test our patients, and uh, everybody's doing awesome. And we just pray that everybody keeps doing good. And uh, we feel sad for what's happening, but 
hopefully this will pass like everything else. Yeah. And you did a TED Talk. Can you talk a little bit about that and the subject of that? Yes, I did a TED Talk last April, exactly, in Jacksonville at FSCJ. Um, they found out about what I do, which is uh, bringing people of conflict together at one table to break bread, because I believe that bread is a common denominator and it brings people together. Um, so I started a healing table where I wanted to bring the Palestinians and Israelis together to one table so they can discuss the issues of Palestine and Israel. And um, so I did that. I went to Jacksonville. It was an amazing event. A lot of it was a live event, and uh, a lot of things I had to relearn. And it's so funny that all of last year I was relearning things like the culinary school. I had to relearn everything all over again, even chopping onions. And so with the TEDx, I'm like, okay, I can take that on because I really want to spread the message of peace and the message of togetherness and the message that we are. One people, we're all the same equally, have the same invitation on earth by God. And I just think that people sometimes allow evil and allow politics to take over and we forget about the human side of us. And I wanted to bring that as much as I can to the table of sharing food together, familiar food to the two people. So it was amazing. I loved uh, doing it. I loved talking about Palestine and I loved uh, collaborating with people in Jacksonville where we actually did an actual healing table where we cooked. I cooked with a person there that they assigned to me and he conducted me just very lovely. His name is Shai. And we both cooked the same. I chose, I always choose to, to cook that shakshuka dish because the Jewish community is familiar with it. The Palestinian community does it, but we call it like a kalai feid with mandura, which is fried eggs with, tom with tomatoes, fried tomatoes with eggs. And so they do their version differently because they bought it from North Africa, from like Tunisia and Morocco. And they do it like sweet where we do it savory with a kick in Palestine, like spicy. <laughs> and so it was amazing to see we had about, I think, between 70 to 80 people come in. And it was not just Palestinians and Israelis. It was from all walks of life. But we mixed the tables. The hosts over there at FSCJ made the tables. Not everybody just come in and sit with their family and leave. We wanted to see people interaction. And there was people really interacting for the first time with the other side. It was peaceful. There's always, I think, food is peace. And uh, it was really a good gathering that I wish to have more of in the U.S. So just to make people see. Because in the U.S. we have, you know, everybody has their problems and everybody has their responsibilities. And everybody has their job. And sometimes we don't take the time to get to know something and we make up like wrong narratives and stereotypes about people. And uh, for me, I felt like the Palestinians are usually unheard as much as we speak. Uh, some people don't hear us or don't want to hear us or don't agree that they need to side with us. They feel that they need to side with an ally to the U.S. rather than just make, you know, think about these people, what's going on with people, uh, the native Palestinians in Palestine. So the food is a great discussion because people will ask you, where is this food from? Where is your accent from? Where is these spices from? So I felt like the food is a segue to kind of go in and say, well, actually, it's Palestinian. This is hummus. This is baba ganoush. This is pita bread. This is Palestinian. And the people who eat the food already and love the food and they want to cook it and learn it, I wanted them to know that that food that you love and that dish that you love, you need to know what it came from. And when you know what it came from, that will bring the people closer to each other and might create 
um, uh, you know, create some friendships, it creates some sympathy for the other. So that's that's my hope. That's my hope is bringing people together and learning open dialogue uh, over food in a peaceful, in a safe space, in an equal space in the U.S. We're on an equal space here. And uh, I hope that uh, I keep going forward with it. We've done one at NYU, the same thing, the year before in New York. And that was a little tougher than FSCJ because the students in NYU really don't get along and don't like each other much. So uh, Kitchen Connection is the one who um, hosted that event at NYU. We had the same. We had about 70, maybe 50 people and uh, from both sides and others. And uh, at that time, one of the students who was doing his master's, he was actually from Israel. Very lovely. His name is Itamar. And we did the same thing. He did his uh, sweet with cinnamon and bell peppers, and I did mine with a, a spicy kick. And you see the two people, when they come into the room, it always happens, even when I was doing a little politics and speaking a little bit in the media years before, I would see the two people come in and they each go to their sites. It's just natural because of all what's happening, all the hurt and all the pain and this occupation is not making uh, things easy for either side. So, uh, yeah, and then the, I, I, when they see the table and they see the zayt and the zatar and the lebni and the hummus and people, you see them dive in with their bread and looking at each other like, oh, it's familiar, you know. Yeah, and I think those are all dishes that have even been uh, really introduced into the American uh, food cultures and palates these days so that everyone's kind of familiar with those. So I'm sure it's a, yes. an amazing event. I mean, I would love to come and eat in one of those. But we'll I do one in your place, inshallah. <laughs> I totally understand. You know, it's so hard. Like I didn't grow up in a very culturally diverse city. And one of the things that strikes me is we had a Vietnamese restaurant in town. And in like the 80s, I remember my dad like adamantly not wanting to go there and actually being pretty rude about like some of the comments he had made, you know, because he was of the generation where we had the Vietnam War. And it was kind of like, we're not going to go and support this restaurant. And I mean, I don't agree with that at all. And I'm I'm really disappointed because Vietnamese food is one of my favorite foods to eat. And I wasn't um, introduced to that at a young age because just like, you know, white American people in my hometown were not going to support that restaurant. And, you know, now looking back at it, I wonder how, how well they did in our community and how hard it was for them to stick it out because I'm sure there are some pretty terrible people who said some not, you know, nice things to the owners. Yes, and you know, and you say back then in the 80s, which... You, we would wish it's 2020 that that was left behind, that we've learned a lesson in America from, like you said, from the Japanese. Look what we've done to the Japanese. Look what American Indian. There's so much, you know, stuff that has done and people don't take the time to understand that when you're doing this to uh, uh, ethnic people, you're cleansing them, you're cleansing everything, but you're adopting their food, but you're going to school and learning a second language, like what's been going on with this administration and the immigration toward, let's say, Mexico. I mean, they're our neighbors and they have so much to offer and they offered so much to this country and they enrich this country. And I want people, my fellow Americans, to understand that without the immigrants and without the spices we brought and without this amazing dishes that you love to eat and with the people who are making it, it just didn't walk over by itself, this dish. And we went through a lot of discrimination when we came into this country in 1973 when I came in. No one knew what Palestine was. I, I would say Palestine. They would say Pakistani. I'm like, no, that's a different country, different language. Palestine. 
And then they would not know it. And then we went through the discrimination because of the color. Then we went through the discrimination because of we're Muslims. And then now it's sad to see with all the strives and all the things that great leaders done, these civil leaders and other people who, immigrants, amazing immigrants who contribute to this country, that in 2020, we're back to that. We're back to that age of discrimination. So I always tell my friends, I'm like, you like hummus? Oh my God, yes, I love hummus. You like uh, the bread? Yes, I love. I'm like, that's Palestinian. And they would say to me, oh yeah, we love Israeli food. I'm like, okay, back up. Back up here. Israel, when Israel came in and occupied Palestine in 1948, it didn't just occupy our land. It didn't just take our land. It took, it adopted the food. They speak Arabic, like some of the Palestinians speak Hebrew inside the 48 territories. We have three religions in Palestine. People don't understand this Christianity. I'm like, how can you be Christian, believe in Jesus, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, peace be upon him, and you don't know where he was born? Or where was, have you walked his walk? Have you gone to Nazareth? Have you gone to Bethlehem? That's where I'm from. So how can you say that you love Jesus or love the Holy Land without knowing that there are more than one people there, more than one religion there, that it's for everyone, that Jerusalem is for everybody. It's not just for one person. So the Palestinians have a right. And a lot of the people now I see with Corona, Chris, the chefs, the Palestinian chefs are really having to start this amazing, beautiful campaign of know us through our food. This is our food. This is Palestinian. This is our embroidery. This is our language. This is who we are. We love to feed. We love to host. And uh, yeah, it's like, uh, I pray that this occupation will end so the two sides can live in peace side by side. Why can't people be neighbors and nice to each other? Why do we have to fight with each other? Why do we have to put a wall between us and Mexico? But it's been such a long conflict for those two countries specifically. I mean, I don't know how many years it's going to take to kind 70, of so, yeah, to, to, ease, <laughs> to ease those tensions. I mean, you have some of those rivalries, although, you know, you kind of look at the United States and, and Russia and Cold War stuff. I mean, that's eased a little bit um, from where that was. But over time, maybe you can get there. I, I remember another thing besides food is like soccer, right? Like it's such a global sport, football. And in 84, when they had the Olympics, my parents took me to a soccer game and it was Iran and Iraq. And talk about, you know, like very similar thing. Like as Americans, we had, you know, no skin in the game and we just went to watch this Olympic game. But the people there, I mean, there were fights, physical, like fights in the stands (laughs) and in the streets. And, you know, when you see those countries that have had conflict for so long, I wonder if you can ever really get past it. I have hope and I am hopeful because like you said, history tells us that nothing is forever. Uh, but we want history to be kind to the Palestinians too. And just, you know, we're not, we're hoping that we stay standing and we stay steadfast on our peaceful cause to regain back our country and uh, uh, regain back uh, Jerusalem. And when Jerusalem last year was so devastating, here comes this president who thinks he's laying monopoly on Park Avenue, buying buildings and opening them for hotels. He goes and says, I want to give Jerusalem to the other side. I'm like, Jerusalem is not yours, buddy, to give. It is not the U.S. decision to give people's houses and countries and cities and say there's only one kind. That's what creates the friction. That's what creates the division. And my hope for America is to get back on the right path of being the peaceful 
honest broker. That's what we want. And uh, Palestinians and Israelis, the people, I'm not talking about, the people are so similar. I swear, when, like I'm an American citizen, so I could fly into Tel Aviv and I can rent a car from the airport and I can drive and go whatever I want because of my American citizenship. But like my family in Palestine, they cannot enter beyond the wall. They want to go to Jerusalem and pray. They have to get a visa. So I have an aunt that every time we went back, she'll say, you're going to the Dome of the Rock to pray. Oh my God, let me touch you when you come back. Let me smell you from, because they haven't been there. They're not allowed to get there. I'm like, who is man to be above God, to say that these holy places that were opened by God since the time of earth started for someone to come and say, with military force, you cannot go pray. You cannot go worship to your place. That is unheard of. That's inhumane. So my thing on politics, and we'll go back to talk about food, is that someday the U.S. will recognize that enough is enough. We Enough of us funding wars that are killing people. Enough. We need to be the honest broker. We need to be the people that look up to as role model of bringing people together. And I think the Palestinian and Israeli can be brought together if the Palestinians like rights, human, basic human rights are met. And of course, you know, the Israeli security is guaranteed, which is, that's where, you know, the circle keeps going around. You give the Palestinians their rights, give them their freedom. The children need to live peacefully just like any other children in the world. And that's what would create, you know, peace and peace of mind for the Israelis to be on their side. And there's enough to share. There's two people, one land. They need to share that land. That was given to both by God. And that's what I say. So we do our small steps towards humanity and toward peace. And I chose to do mine through food. And inshallah, I pray that more people can sign on this uh, food journey and, and food uh, peace train and come taste the people and get to know the people through our food. So where does that leave you now? What are your plans? I mean, obviously, a lot of things are on hold. <clears throat> Is there anything you're doing kind of online or behind the scenes right now while we can't be out uh, communally dining? Yeah. Well, you know, I was pers- I'm was i a personal chef, so I don't like working in restaurants and stuff like that. I like the one-on-one connection and the lecture of telling my clients, this is Makluba upside down. This is Palestine. They know. They all my clients in the West Village and uh, amazing clients that are only interested in me cooking Palestinian food. So that's on hold because... First of all, I'm in California. I came to California for a wedding and Corona happened and my daughter in Manhattan Beach got stuck with me. But if I was in the West Village in Manhattan, New York, my clients are not there anyways and you can't go to the house. So that's, like you said, that affected things. I give, like I do, I send recipes to my clients when they, when they say, oh, Hanan, what can, what can we do? So I send them recipes and then I've been, baking cookies because this is Ramadan and I'm used to the month of Ramadan. Usually I'm cooking every night. I'm taking care of the converts that come in uh, brand new to Islam because they have no idea what happens in Ramadan. I mean, the born Muslim and with so much family, you feel lonely because of all that seclusion. You want to be uh, isolated to just do your worshiping and your meditation. Imagine them just coming into, not knowing the language, not knowing the religion. So I cook a lot. I used to cook a lot and make them feel at home. Another thing is we, so I make cookies and I'm shipping them. That's that's my meditation. That's my zen is I make two boxes a day and I ship them. Two boxes a day and I ship them and I feel like I'm doing something so I won't go crazy. And then I have my grandkids here, which I adore, and they help me. My three-year-old, Zachariah, he comes in and he does the ma'amul cookies, the date cookies with me. 
saying the same thing. They will wake up in the morning like, oh, Tata, which is, means grandma in Arabic. What are you making us today? And then I started teaching my daughters, which, you know, I have four daughters. I have five kids, one son and two daughter, uh, four daughters. And they were always like busy with school and sports. And they were really amazing students, excelling athletes. So I didn't want to say, hey, come clean your room or come cook with me. I figured, you know, they're going to higher institutions to learn in America. That's good enough. I'll do the cooking. But now they're all in. One of them is uh, the one in New York. And uh, her her job now, she can't do anything. She's a diplomat, actually, of the Palestinian mission to the UN. So everything is closed. So she's home with the children. And she would say, Mom. So I taught her like six very hard, complicated Palestinian dishes, ethnic dishes that she thought she would never learn. So I've been teaching her and teaching the other uh, daughters. And we would do a Zoom and we'd come in and I would sit there or FaceTime and she'd make the maklouba. She made the maklouba, which is upside down. That's a lot of steps, desserts, you know, um, talking to the kids about Ramadan, teaching the kids, you know, they want, they'll call and say, can we pray? Can you teach us about Ramadan? And, and for me, that helps me stay connected too, to my homeland by passing a little bit of what I brought with me to them and to their kids. So that's how I've been filling my Ramadan and my Corona. And I've been walking a lot. I get out in the in our development here. She lives behind the gates, so we figured we're immune to the germs and bacteria to our you know little cul de sac. So I get out and I keep walking around in the same area with my mask. We do the same and thing. Yeah, you have to get out. You have to get out and walk. And I think I'm taking Corona too into reflecting, like you said, where do we go from here as people, and what what, what should we see as people with reasonable. Uh, Sanity, let's say. How do we take this uh, Corona lesson and make it to be like a lesson forever and a lesson that we can actually, um, you know, because if we're sitting home for the past three months and we haven't learned anything good from that, I would say that's like a very sad thing. So I'm hoping that I, I, I you know, I have plans and I would love to teach more than be a personal chef. I would love to have my cooking school and pass on this uh, Palestinian cooking traditions to others. I know, like you said, there's a, a lot of welcoming and a lot of people receptive to the Middle Eastern food, especially the Palestinian food. A lot of people ask me about recipes, like I said, online. So I would love to be able to teach online and in person when Corona evaporated. <laughs> um, you know, I love to, you know, I always say I want to produce my book with, the most important recipes that kind of um, shaped my life since I came into the U.S. with my story, because I think immigrant stories and all of our stories, we all have stories, not just the immigrants, are very, very important. And we should, uh, you know, uh, nurture them and pass them on to our kids and uh, grandkids. So I hope that uh, we come out of Corona all in good health and alive and move on to do better things in life. Was it easier to observe Ramadan this year? I mean, I know it's probably challenging to do with day-to-day life normally, but with things kind of stopping, slowing down, kind of being stuck at home, did it make it easier? Or I'm sure it was a very different year for you. It's very different because, again, I do spend my Ramadans every year, like going to the masjid and doing my prayer in person and then. Um, in a group with a community and every night there's an iftar and 
I'd love to participate and cook, take something. So I was always, like I said, cooking, taking things. So I couldn't do that. Uh, so I'm, that's why I'm doing the cookies and shipping them. It is easier in the sense of like, you don't have to get out and do an eight hour of something else and then rush back to do your prayers because like we're supposed to keep up with our five prayers on time. So if you're out working, you gotta like make them up or rush and hide somewhere and do them. So that kind of gave me more time to be with with the meditation and be with the people in the house, my daughter and her family. You know, you're really like present. Last year, it was really um, a lot for me because I was doing my externship at the James Beard house. And I said, you know, the first of Ramadan, you always put an intention, not only to fast, but what good, good deeds you want to do or what challenges you want God to help you with. And first day of Ramadan, I said, oh my God, my 250 hours, God, please help me finish him the last day of Ramadan and I want to finish them. That's it. And it was a lot. It was a lot. I was doing my 10 hours and then I was personal chefing for my clients too in the West Village, running back doing that. And, you know, you walk around everywhere and the, it's not like you can afford to take Uber or have a car. So I was walking it. And I was, like breaking fast after the fact, uh, a few chefs came in from Mozambique and they were Muslims and they were like, whoa, you're observing Ramadan. I said, yes. And so they came in and made me break the fast. I think that's the only time I broke fast on time. Um, they were very nice, you know, like uh, Adam and the people I was working with, they would say, it's eight o'clock, it's time to break fast. So that in that, I'm like, you know, look at that, I'm teaching all these people that walked through James Beard that whole month, whether the 80 guests that came in nightly, the chefs, we at least had like between two to 12 chefs sometimes, the board. And so they learned. So I felt like there was a purpose of me being there. They learned about Ramadan. They learned about the food and collaborated with amazing chefs from all over the world. So that was a lot of work last year. This year, I would say it's easier because all I have to do is keep up with my prayers and keep up with my walk <laughs> and, and my cookies. So when it comes to Palestinian food, are you strictly a traditionalist or do you ever try to do anything innovative, different, fusion, or are you only kind of cooking the really traditional foods? It's traditional in the sense of the recipe, like it is truly like Palestinian or from my town. but I. Like I said, I have five American kids, so I have to infuse it. So it's kind of like American-Palestinian. Like if you taste my food, it's very light because I don't use a lot of the fat and like the semna, which is like the butter, uh, spices. Like if you eat like my dish, let's say my makluba and then my sister's makluba, then you'll look at me and say, mm, yours is counterfeit <laughs> because hers is really like authentic. And my sisters are amazing cooks, all of them. Because my mom, rest her soul, she was an amazing cook. She cooked from her heart. My aunts, too. I have two aunts uh, that are amazing cooks. So when I go to them, I'm like, oh, my God, your food tastes different than mine. You better not let my kids eat it. But my kids, being American, and then they want to eat lighter and healthier and not so much. I had to take out some of the spices, take out some of the fat. And sometimes I do things instead of white rice, brown rice, or quinoa. But... Makluba, I leave makluba the same. I leave the rice, the lamb, but I don't like, okay, for instance, makluba, it has the lamb, so I cook it the same, the white rice, but then the vegetables in Palestine, they would fry them, which is cauliflower, eggplants, potatoes, tomatoes, the garlic, they would fry that. So because my kids will not like that much oil, I, I bake mine with a, a drizzle of olive oil. 
And so it, it comes out the same, but less the two cups of oil <laughs> that I didn't fry them in. A lot of these short corners I had to take to kind of modify a little bit so my kids can, and I wanted them to eat the Palestinian food. I wanted them too to know it and uh, to be proud of it because when they were going to school, it was tough. You know, like you said, nobody knew what was going on. We lived in a town called Danville, predominantly white. And they had no clue what hit them when we moved in as, as Palestinian Muslims. Even in the schools, they were not honoring any like a uh, holiday except for a few holidays. And when I walked in as a, a class mother, they told me I cannot say Merry Christmas. So I had to run a campaign in the school district to bring Christmas back. And <laughs> when I brought Christmas back to the calendar, the, the superintendent called me and he said, Mrs. Rashid, we, we, we're happy to announce to you that Christmas will be back on the calendar. I said, oh my God, I cannot wait to go tell my um, Christian friends. He said, wait a minute, <laughs> not Christian. I said, no, but since we're talking about religions, I'm a Muslim. And you have a lot of Muslims in your district that you don't honor the religions. And that gives them a complex with their uh, self-esteem. Why don't you cut all that budget and just, let's just recognize the Muslim holidays so the Muslim kids can feel good. So we put Islam, Islamic calendars, holidays on the calendar as well. That was a great project. I felt I succeeded in the school district. That was in the 90s. I can imagine so, that's yeah. a lot of work. And, and today it's so different. I mean, we get a lot of... Um, discussion because a lot of the Jewish holidays aren't even being recognized anymore. I mean, in Frederick, where I live, we have uh, the Frederick Fair, and they always close school for a day for Fair Day. And one of the days they cut out this year, I think, was one of the Jewish holidays. So the uproar of like, you're going to close school so the kids can go to a fair, but you're not going to close school so we can observe our holidays. And I think the response was, well, anyone who um, re- you know celebrates those holidays can take them off and it won't be held against them. But is that enough? You know, why it's are we not the same? Why are we giving kids a day off to go to a fair to see farm animals and ride amusement rides, but the people who are celebrating their um, religious holidays aren't given off? It's it's a very touchy I, I subject and very hard. And I'm glad I'm not the one who has to make those decisions. You know, you can. <laughs> um, we voted. You know, I think they emailed everyone saying which days do you think are most important to be off. Um, but other than that, you know, I don't. I don't think there was like a hearing or anything on it. I, you know, to me, I feel that's disrespectful. I'll tell you, if they don't celebrate any holidays or any, like, if, if they just cut all that out, treat people equally, I'm happy with that. But when I, when the, my kids were going to the San Juan Valley School District, they were celebrating every holiday except like Christmas, ironically, ironically, Christmas. And of course, they didn't have no clue about Muslim holidays. And so I'm like, what the heck? Last time I looked, America was predominantly Christian. And then my Jewish friends, you know, neighbors, I told them the story. So they allied with me too. And we started celebrating each other. Like I would bake a basket of goods for whoever holiday is in the neighbors and the kids would go wish them a happy holiday, whatever holiday it is. So they started learning about ours and they started doing the same. So we had this commonality of friendship in the, in the cul-de-sac. Then it became the neighborhood. Then it became the school. So for the kids, if, like for the Jewish holidays, when you tell these kids we can't celebrate yours because it's a Jewish holiday, it's kind of like disrespectful. And I don't agree with that. I think they should take like a, they should see like how many kids we have. Do they really don't have any Jewish kids in the school? I, I, I doubt that. 
but it shouldn't be like you're telling these five-year-old or six-year-old that listen christmas and and kwanzaa and i don't know what else is chinese new year is more important than yours that creates a complex too with people that kind of like you know bullying them into the start thinking that they are something less than the others and i don't agree with that i think we should raise our kids to be worldly and we should raise them to be diverse and we should raise them to understand and know and and uh want to know the other person because it's going to make them a much better people than they are. Imagine someone who's sheltered and never tried like food from other places or never met someone who's darker than them or speaks different than them. You know, the world would be so boring. We have something it says in our uh, Quran, in our book, it says that, you know, God speaks that he could have created us the same, same color, same tongue, same language, same feelings, we dress the same, we worship the same, we eat the same. Imagine how boring, but he chose not to. He chose to create us from different tribes. Why? So we can get to know each other and like each other. So people need to know that I have an invitation on this earth from the same God as much as you do. So we need to get along, learn to get to know each other in a nice way, learn to be kind, and uh, know that nobody's above anybody. When we die, our bones look the same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the king and the servant, the bones in the in the grave look the same. And that's what people need to know. I love the idea of using food to bring people together, and I really think that's a fantastic way to come at it. Because I I do think that gives you a great opportunity to get people in the same room and start having these conversations. So I'm very excited about this project. I'm also interested to learn a little more about. Um, what are some great resources if people wanted to learn about Palestinian cooking? What are your favorite cookbooks, websites, anything that someone could just go to today and start learning? Oh my God, with uh, social media now, it's amazing. You don't have to actually go to the library or go to someone, but you could easily Google Palestinian food and so many things come out on Instagram. There's so many upcoming chefs. It, it, it differs because if you want like something ethnic or something that's fast, you know, I followed my mother recipes. <laughs> that's what I do. What's your and favorite thing to make? Some, oh my God. Well, other than these mamul cookies that I've been making, the date cookies, I'll send you a picture. I'll show you some actually. Um, I love making that. I love making, uh, I love making the shakshuka, which is the kalai bandura with bed. I love making the makluba, my our traditional dish is mensef, which is, and all of our food is done massive amounts. Like you can have people come to lunch and say there's, you know, come to lunch, but you don't ask people how many, that's rude in our culture to ask people how many people are coming. And like 15, 20 people show up to the same dinner and you have enough. You will have enough always. So we cook a lot. We cook for a community. Our food is served on a table of, you know, uh, family style always and so we cook a lot so i love making the makluba the upside down that's really an amazing dish the mensef is the buttermilk with the lamb and the naan bread and oh my god it's just divine uh, my desserts i love desserts there's the kunaka which is the palestinian kunaka it's called nablusi kunaka because it was created in a town called nablus because of the cheese and that's like uh, the shredded filo with cheese inside it and you dye the, the tabla layer with uh, organic dye into so it looks orange and then you do the syrup. Oh my God, that homemade syrup 
the sh- just sugar and, and, and water is just amazing. It was actually a hit that James Beard, that syrup, because they would do their mocktails and they wanted they wanted something sugary. So I said to them, I'll make you my syrup, my atom. As I was making it every night last year, Ramadan at James Beard. Um, another thing is the phyllo uh, stuffed with cheese, the mutabak. I love making that. And I have one grandson here, Zane, loves it all the time. So I'm trying... The same thing too is I'm trying to teach my grandkids the Arabic terminology and get their tongue used to the language by if they fall in love with a dish, they're going to keep saying it till they get it. And then I'm like, okay, good. Uh, They're going to pass that on and carry that and know that they're Palestinians. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many things. Just I think would people just Google uh, Palestinian food and everybody has their version, but it's all amazing. A lot of books are out there. I can send you some stuff when it comes to mind. They're always welcome to text me, email me. I am willing to teach anyone who wants to learn by FaceTime, by Zoom, by sending a recipe. I'm more than happy to serve. It it pleases me. We put together pretty comprehensive show notes. So uh, when this goes out, I'll put links to all of your social media and pages and, and info and people who are interested can get in contact with you. I would love it. It, it, it. it makes me happy when I'm cooking my food and sharing it with others, especially people who've never heard of something about Palestine. It gives me such pleasure to sit there and explain the dish where it came from. And I go through in the politics, the religion, it all comes in one dish. I wrap it around in one dish. But yes. You're making me really hungry. I wish I had some of this food right now. I'm going to ship you cookies. That's it. That sounds you're fantastic. Gonna, yeah, you're going to get some cookies. Do you have anything you want to add before we leave here today? No, just hoping that we can do more of these, like you said, bringing people together to one table to break bread, to just bring uh, the stories of the people, the immigrants, how important we are and how much contribution we've done to this country. Uh, As much as we appreciate this country as immigrants and we came to this country and we appreciated that it's opened its doors for us and welcomed us, we ask of this country to always be welcoming and be what it is. After all, you know, the Statue of Liberty says for everybody to be welcome and to come to, you know, live their American dream. And that's why we all came in, bring a piece of us from our countries to share and live our American dream for our children. And I hope that we can all one day have these common tables run, like I said, in my Sadaq stock, run through meadows and run through towns and hills and lands of different countries bringing people together, no walls, no barriers, no animosity, none of that. Life is too short, as Corona is telling us right now, and there's no place for racism or hatred right now. We really need to apply kindness and sharing and togetherness, and that's my hope. I just love what you're doing, and I look forward to having you come here, hopefully uh, meeting you in person and cooking with you um, firsthand. It'd be my honor. I'll be, I cannot wait. Uh, inshallah, we all pray that this is a temporary situation and this will pass and we're all going to, actually the whole world is going to emerge of this stronger. Well, thanks again for coming on. I love this. And to our listeners, as always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media at Chefs Without Restaurants. Thanks everyone and have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.